Hi, this is Ken Clark, minister of the Old First Church in Bennington, Vermont. This service is one of a series created in answer to the challenge of how to continue to worship during this shutdown resulting from the presence of coronavirus in so many places here in Bennington and around the globe. Services will be posted weekly on our website and as a podcast, which is entitled A Walk to Cleo Hall, which is found on Spotify and other podcast apps. This service took place on April 5th, 2020. It's Palm Sunday. The organist is Jean Marie Callahan, and the preacher is Kenneth Clark. Please join me in the opening words found in the order of service. Give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. God's love is the light of the world. The Lord is with us, and God is our help. God's steadfast love endures forever. Our first hymn this Palm Sunday morning is Hosanna, Loud Hosanna.
please join me in saying together the opening prayer found in the order of service. God of the covenant, in the glory of the cross, your son embraced the power of death and broke its hold over your people. Deepen our faith, we pray, and direct our lives to your service. In this time of repentance, draw all people to yourself, that we who confess Jesus as Lord may put aside the deeds of death and accept the life of your kingdom. Amen. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. If we confess our faults, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. First lesson this Palm Sunday is from the letter to the Philippians in the second chapter, verses 5 through 11, thought by some to be a form of an early Christian hymn, a very familiar section of this epistle, verses 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here ends the first lesson. Our hymn is, This is the Day the Lord Hath Made.
The second lesson is from the Gospel of Matthew in the 21st chapter, verses 1 through 11. When the disciples had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Here ends the second lesson. This is Palm Sunday, and so we welcome you hearing this broadcast and wish you were here in the church to fill it up with palms and happiness, to enjoy the day as a common group. But we will work through this, and we will offer this Palm Sunday service recorded for you, and we will hope for things to come in the days ahead that will be good, full, and cheerful. Palm Sunday is always a bit of a challenge for us. We have the sense of celebration that comes with Palm Sunday itself, and we begin this week to go into what in the major church tradition is called Holy Week. In this week, we here in Bennington have observed Monday, Thursday with a simple meal and a communion service, and then We have also adjourned down to the meeting house to observe the service of Tenebrae, the doctrining of the church, a service that's generally held on Good Friday. So we have these two days in our church. We conflate them into one on Thursday, if we can be forgiven that. But we have these two days in the church calendar, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and then a a day of rest, an open day on Saturday, and then the joy of Easter Sunday, which we're still looking forward to. But the problem for any preacher in any church is, what do you do with Palm Sunday? Do you concentrate on Palm Sunday and the readings we have? I should note that of the two readings in today's service, one is the reading appointed for Palm Sunday, the second reading from the Gospel of Matthew. The first reading from Philippians is actually taken from the observance this day for Passion Sunday. That's the other alternative. Most churches or most churchgoers are not able to spend the whole week in church, certainly not this year. And so sometimes on Palm Sunday, we recount the Passion story. We tend not to do that in this church, and we're not going to do it today. Although Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday have for us been canceled and We have this struggle with this issue of how to observe things. The usual 
thing you want to avoid is going from simple celebration to celebration. But I want to suggest to you today that Palm Sunday is too important to ignore and also that the celebration of Palm Sunday is qualitatively different from the celebration of Easter Sunday. I know if you're a child, it's great to have the palms and wave them around and parade and it feels festive. We don't do that every day in church. So it makes it rather interesting and seems like it's looking forward directly to what's going to come in the next week. But as we saw earlier here in this Lenten season, the raising of Lazarus is not exactly the same as the resurrection of Christ. And in the similar way, the events of Palm Sunday, parade, the entry into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, is not exactly the same as the news on Easter Day. So I want to take some time this morning, if I may, to look into Palm Sunday more directly. My first question for you is, is Palm Sunday really a celebration? The answer, of course, is easy. We've already suggested it. It is that triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. The crowds are shouting, Hosanna, they're waving palm branches. Everyone's excited. You can see it in various ways. I'm taken by some of our Palm Sunday hymns. The hymns focus on children. Two of our four hymns this morning really talk about children greeting Christ. Now, I want to suggest to you that this is kind of a 19th century view of Palm Sunday, or actually I'm old enough now so I can say it's a 20th century view of Palm Sunday, a view dominant in the late 1800s and throughout the 1900s. I don't want to call it sentimental, but it's somewhat close to sentimental. Hosanna, loud Hosanna, the little children sang, and um, further on in another hymn we hear with his salvation bringing the children all stood singing Hosanna to his name. You can see in these hymns that the appeal here is to little children. The idea of perhaps this entry parade being a wonderful thing. Parades are wonderful things and we all love parade as the song says. So it could be simply the excitement of this triumphal entry. It could be the big victory that Jesus deserves after all. We've read in the Bible all the stories of his travails and his teaching and how he went from place to place, but not really recognized. And here's his chance on the big stage in the big city in Jerusalem. Jesus is going to enter in and boy, things are going to be different. It's a victory of major sorts. The world is going to pivot at this point. It is also, if we take it that way, the beginning of a betrayal. Not the betrayal of Judas, but the betrayal of the hopes I just mentioned. It's his big chance. Things are going to be different. The kingdom is here. Hosanna, loud Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Now this man who has cured people and taught us and even raised the dead is coming to Jerusalem. Things are going to change. And in that sense, that victory that is promised, that sense is betrayed in the days to come. That's not the victory we were expected. As a matter of fact, that's our sermon title today. Not at all what we expected. 
It may apply more recently to modern times, and I think that's appropriate. But what happens on Palm Sunday is not at all what is expected. I love to watch those movies, especially the Marvel series of movies, about all the superheroes. And in all those movies, there's so much going on, there's always an alternate ending. Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? In some ways, Palm Sunday is that point of a perhaps an alternate ending to this story. What happens if Jesus comes into Jerusalem and succeeds wildly? What happens if Pilate and Herod and all the people say, you know, you're right, let's turn things around? What happens if Jesus leads a revolt, an insurrection, and the world changes? We can speculate in those other endings to this story, but I suspect that all those other endings would end in Jesus being a historical figure that we barely remember today, like Judas Maccabeus, like some failed revolutionary in some place, like somebody who started cooperating with the authorities and got bought out. Maybe it would have had not the ending we were expecting. In any event, here's this entry into Jerusalem. And you notice, too, how it's supposed to fulfill all the prophecies and hopes of the people and how closely they hew to the prophetic story where even in the Gospel of Matthew it is said that these things took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. And then they talk about the colt and the donkey. And then we have that very incongruous image in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus actually has to ride two animals at once, it seems. They throw their cloaks over both of those animals as Jesus directed them, and he sat on them. Well, that's what the Bible says in the Gospel of Matthew. So what was this Palm Sunday celebration? A parade, a triumphal entry, a children's day, the beginning of a betrayal of a great victory that Jesus deserves? Or perhaps it's a commentary on us, a commentary on who we are watching the parade, a reminder of who we are as we watch this parade. It seems to be that the people who cut these branches and shout these phrases are sometimes portrayed on Palm Sunday as people who perhaps don't quite get it. They should know better. People who are either foolish or innocent. Now, it's easy to be foolish. I'm a pro at that. It's possible to be innocent. It's easy to get caught up in the excitement of things, to have your hopes and to pin your dreams on certain events or people, to have expectations about how things will end up. And so these people watching the parade, either foolish or innocent, that's another interpretation for the preacher to dwell on today to say, hey, let's not be among those people. And in a way, I'm kind of saying that to you today, but I want to suggest something even more. Final interpretation of this event comes from Marcus Borg and John Dominic Croissant, who've done so much good work on this event and upon the entire gospel. 
And in some ways, these two biblical scholars present Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry into Jerusalem as kind of a cosmic joke. Some people term this Jesus as the clown king, perhaps in their words, a kind of social satire or political theater that Jesus is engaging in at this time. They note that this seems to be well-planned by Jesus. He's arranged things to happen with the animals. He's given careful attention to what's going to happen. And more importantly, they note that this Palm Sunday takes place right during the Jewish celebration of Passover, that it was a time in Jerusalem when people came from all over the countryside to get together to celebrate the religious feast, to remember their deliverance. And as such, it was a politically fraught time. As people under Roman rule, there was always the whiff of revolt during this time of year. And so it was that the Roman emperor, their overlord, would come and visit Jerusalem. The emperor was stationed on the Mediterranean Sea at Caesarea, but he journeyed to Jerusalem at this time of year and made a triumphal entry. His entry was from the west and was full of soldiers and guards and pomp and pageantry. It was designed at this critical time in Jewish life, in the Jewish liturgical year, to remind the people that they could have their celebration, but they were under Roman domination. That there was an army, and indeed it is thought that the uh, governor came to the city at the time, representing the emperor, in order to reinforce the Roman garrisons. So just in case something happened, they would be able to deal with it. So Marcus Borg and John Croissant make this point about how Jesus' entry, not from the west where the governor was coming, but from the east where Jesus is coming, that his entry is in a way to make fun of the procession on the other side, to taunt the others on the other side, to give an impression that something else is going on too, that someone else may be legitimately able to enter the city in triumph. There's a lot going on at this point. Interestingly enough, as part of their description of their theory, I want to quote a little bit from their writings. Pilate's procession displayed not only imperial power, but also Roman imperial theology. According to this theology, the emperor was not simply the ruler of Rome, but the son of God. It began with the greatest of emperors, Augustus, who ruled Rome from 31 BCE to 14 CE. His father was the god Apollo, who conceived him in his mother, Ahia. Inscriptions refer to him as Son of God, Lord, and Savior, one who had brought peace on earth. After his death, he was seen ascending into heaven to take his permanent place among the gods. His successors continued to bear divine titles, including Tiberius, emperor from 14 to 37, common era, and thus emperor during the time of Jesus's public activity. For Rome's Jewish subjects, 
Pilate's procession embodied not only a rival social order, but also a rival theology, a threat on several different levels. And now I've ceased quoting. And so it is in their interpretation of Jesus' entry that we have this model of two competing kingdoms, a worldly kingdom of power and a Christly kingdom which acts in this world but does not accept the dictates and the assumptions of the world itself. I agree much and admire the scholarship of these two, but I also want to suggest that it is perhaps too limited in one sense. It makes Jesus a clever tactician. It even makes Jesus a kind of a literary master, the master of metaphor. He's actually quite clever in a literary sense here at the hands of Croissant and Borg. It is a sophisticated reading of the scripture, but one I do subscribe to, and one I'm impressed by. But to what end? Just these sense of a messianic kingdom, a different kind of kingdom held out to us? Well, perhaps so, but I want to invite another level to this reading with that in mind. We often put ourselves simply on the sidewalk. What if instead of being on the sidelines watching the parade, what if we are supposed to be somewhere different? If not in the position of Christ, perhaps in the line of followers. There's not much said about the rest of the parade, but you know you can't have a parade with just one person. That person's at the head but there are many people behind. There are many people who have worked and who are also marching, perhaps, in that parade. After all, that's why it is what it is. And so imagine yourself as part of the parade behind Jesus. Perhaps you're close, perhaps you're far, but nonetheless, you're in the parade, you're on the road. And look at those who you're passing. They are innocent and foolish, They're waving palms. They don't know who Jesus really is. Perhaps you followed him long enough to know a little bit more. They're innocent and foolish, but they're not at fault. They're excited. They don't know what will happen. And yes, this same crowd will be silent and mute in a week's time. But you must grant them their innocency. You must grant them even their foolishness to be caught up in such a moment. You, in the line there behind Jesus, on the colt and the donkey, have a certain different knowledge, perhaps. Or if you don't have this knowledge, certainly perhaps even Peter didn't have that full knowledge, but if you don't have that knowledge, Christ does, and we who follow him will have that knowledge of what we are about, and where we are headed in due time. We will have that knowledge of where we are headed, not first to victory, not first to Easter, but to trial and death. We know that we will head this week to a common table in an upper room and a deep love that is shared and it will be the last earthly time. And it will be from that time forward repeated forever.
that table, Communion Sunday here at the church, that table that would be here spread before us today, is that table shared, the common table and the deep love, the last earthly time for all time repeated. I told you I'd get to Philippians. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, though in the form of a God did not require regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. Remember that reading I just gave you from Gasson and Marcus Bohr about the Roman emperor who stretched and grasped and made himself a god and put himself high up in the heavens and all during his earthly reign demanded treatment as if he were a god. It is against that image that Philippians rings clear. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, though in the form of God did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, being found in human form, humbled himself, and became obedient even to the point of death. That great humility, that great sense that Jesus had of emptying himself, that great humility, that sense of emptying himself for Jesus has been his ministry and is perfected this week leading up to Easter. In similar form of emptying himself and rejecting glory, Jesus refused to grasp it when tempted by Satan in the desert. But humility does not mean a meek surrender or a self-abasement. Humility does not mean drawing back and saying you're not worthy. Let me suggest that humility is something different. And it's not simply the person who is really smart and knows everything and is a pro and simply doesn't let on. I think that's good social grace, but it may not exactly be humility. I wanna suggest that humility is knowledge Humility comes about with knowledge of yourself, who you are, your strengths and your weaknesses. Humility comes about with knowledge of the world, what it is, its strengths and its weaknesses. Humility comes about by a sense of the spirit, knowing its presence in your life but also, and so importantly, its presence in the life of another. Sometimes even the most humble forget to see that in someone else who they would pass by. That, I think, is a deep humility, and that is what I think Paul is talking about in the letter to the Philippians, with Jesus humbling himself. That deep humility, that self-knowledge, that knowledge about the world and knowledge about the spirit. Humility is also a kind of heroism. Humility is also a kind of heroism because it does not say that you need to be in the front of the line. It does not say that you need to be first. It does not say that you need to consider whether or not your life should be spared at a certain moment but it is a sense of living a heroic life 
of not letting the cup pass, but accepting what is given. That's not being humble and shy and reticent and fearful. That's being heroic when the time comes. Kairos, that sense of Christ in life, it's an interesting time we're in. It's illustrated by the sermon title, which could very well be a sermon title, not at all what we expected, or as I wanted to say, that's a hell of a note. But the sermon title is not at all what we expected. And it applies to Palm Sunday in that parade. But we know also that it applies exactly to this morning. This is not at all what we expected. Not for Palm Sunday, not for Communion Sunday. It's not at all what we expected. And that very realization is the heart of the gospel. It does not live in the past, but it reaches us in the present and tells us that this present is intimately connected to what has gone before, to Christ's presence, not in the past, but in this moment. Christ's presence in this moment. Not at all what we expected. Let me suggest that we are in a Palm Sunday moment right now, not waving palms or surprised or confused, but we are in that procession. We are following Christ through a confusion, through shouts and murmurs, through danger. We are following Christ in a procession. We are humble, which means we are knowledgeable about what we are about, what we are doing, and what our goals are. We are humble followers. We know what the score is. We have imagined in this procession, turned a corner. No longer are there children with palm branches. No longer is the theater going on about impressing those who might mistake us for a Roman procession. But instead, we have turned a corner, and the cheer of the crowd now fades behind us, and ahead is a Roman soldier. Beside us is a friend who is not so fearless or faithful. We know what and when and how we must face the coming days. Have in yourself the mind that was in Christ, who emptied himself. Now so many are heroes. Today, in the hospital, the mind that was in Christ emptying themselves, the fire personnel, the police, the nurses, the doctors, the brilliant researchers and the lab technicians, the manufacturers, the rich and the poor, the truckers, the servers, the workers, have in yourself the mind that was in Christ who emptied himself to serve others. There may come a, a call for you. The first call is to bear this isolation for the common good. Bear it as Christ bore his journey. Have that mind in you that was in Christ in the days ahead. Patience. Bear your isolation 
quarantine with patience, even joy, knowing Christ has been there and much further ahead than you have ever been. And he lives. Bear it with patience, even joy, no fear, because you are doing real good, real good at this moment, by sitting down quietly and doing absolutely nothing, bored out of your skull. The mind of Christ, who humbled himself to serve others, you are doing real good. You are following Christ. You're loving this life and this world and your neighbors by what you do or by what you don't do. And yes, if you're at home feeling isolated, that's what you need to do right now. You're serving and you're bearing a cross, but also serving at the same time you are enabling other heroes to go out and work and produce and to save, physically save. And when the call comes for you, as it may, to serve or sacrifice some more in some other way, be ready heroically to answer and fall in behind that colt and that donkey and that distant figure ahead who is the Christ and leads us still. Amen. Our sermon hymn is With His Salvation Bringing.
all and welcome to the Old First Church here in Bennington, Vermont on this Palm Sunday 2020. Again, as I mentioned in these productions of service that we are doing for you, I am here. Jean Marie Callahan, our organist, is more than 60 feet away uh, up in the organ loft, and the two of us, anti-socially distant, are looking at things and uh, keeping safe, and I hope that you are safe and well, too, wherever you may be. This is the beginning of liturgically Holy Week. Uh, as you know, as I already indicated, there is no Monday-Thursday service, no Tenebrae service, and of course there will be no Easter service, except I misspoke. There will be an Easter service. It will be broadcast or podcast, available on our website, which you've already found if you're listening to this. And if you have found it, and you think it would be helpful for someone else to hear, go ahead and share it. It won't hurt. So um, that is one thing you can share during this time of social distancing that might help. Other announcements that I have for you today is, first off, I wanted on this Palm Sunday to say hi to our children. I mentioned children in the service, but I'm thinking right now of Fisher and Winnie, Zeke, Acadia, Skyler, Sage, Ashley. I'm sure I've forgotten someone. If I've forgotten someone, call the church office. Let me know. I'll mention you next week. Um, but thinking of all you as well and hoping you're doing well and helping your families and those you love get through a tough time. We'll get through it, and we all need to do our part. So for you who are younger, I just wanted to say hi and wish I could give you some palms directly but I can't, and we'll do it some other time, and we'll have fun doing it. Finally, in my announcements for the church, we transitioned into the offering, and as we take the offering this morning, of course, there's nobody here, and I want to encourage you, if you're listening, uh, to find the church website, the church address, which is there, drop an envelope in the mail, and mail a contribution, if you can, to the church to keep the church going. The trustees are working overtime. Nancy Andrews is working overtime, trying to keep things afloat. It is difficult. We're all challenged by this, and we're doing our best. So your support is not only meaningful, but your support is critical in these times. We all know, I'm looking at the offertory, how firm a foundation we all know how our foundation is not as firm as we always like in terms of financing. In terms of Christ the Lord, it's a firm foundation. But in terms of the day-to-day -day nuts and bolts, pennies and dollars that keep this church running, we need a better foundation. So remember us if you can. And so I will now call for the morning offering for the work of the church.
give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, be with us this Palm Sunday. Be with us this day, wherever we are, whenever we hear these words. We give you thanks for our life, for our world, for our community, and for our church. Thanks for all who helped to build up and sustain a good and loving place and good and loving places throughout this world. Teach us to remember the great blessings we have, the goodness we have shared, and give us hope to know that we shall share what is good in days ahead, that we shall bear each other's burdens, that we shall love and help and serve as needed, that those who wait also serve. And so be with us in these days. Teach us to see how the Spirit can yet move, can heal, can bring peace. Teach us to reach out to one another, even from far distances. Let us know these things are not impossible, but that all things are possible with faith and hope and love. And so, dear God, bring us through these days and bring us into this week in which we think on Jesus Christ, his life and his work and his ministry, the trial, his disciples, and both their faith and their fear. And let us realize that all is lifted up in your name. We pray for our earth and we pray for those who keep our lives going, doctors and nurses, workers, those sewing masks, those packing food, those stocking shelves, those working to find a way forward. We give you thanks for all these efforts. We pray for patience and for courage and for a sense of vision in these dark days. We remember especially those in our church whose needs have been lifted up, those who are undergoing treatment still, and face illnesses of all sorts in this time. Be with them and bear them up and give them help and healing. Be with those families who are separated in any way. Be with those friends who are far off who we care for. Be with our colleagues at work. Be with students and teachers. Be with this church and be with our town as we bear up and do our part. Now in silence, we make our prayer to you.
Amen. And as Jesus taught us, we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our final hymn is Ride On, Ride On in Majesty. May God bless us and keep us. May God's face shine upon us and give us peace this day and evermore. Amen.
Thanks for listening. No coffee hour this week, but treat yourself and those you meet kindly in the hours ahead. Check in here again next week and be well. Permission to podcast and stream the service music is granted under license number 3009679 from CCLI with all other creative rights reserved.